this whole Trinity thing and who God is in the triune God. The, 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 the issue with me is not that you have a different opinion, but it's like you want to believe what you want to believe. Fine. But because I just think it's nonsense, that's my right. I mean, I don't have to believe in your myths. Right. Been, that's what you want to believe. Right. Go for it. I don't want to believe that because I don't think it, the scriptures teach that. And then for you to take Ezekiel, the eighth chapter, and so I could argue oneness from the same text. And what gets me is the cultish addict, especially those Calvinists. Like y'all will sit there and act like this makes sense from like, I don't know any Trinitarian with good sense that I know we use it as a reference to try to prove the Trinity. Then act like it's so, just something so, I don't see. <laughs> so let me, let me say a couple of things. Uh, I am a Calvinist. Um, something I will agree with you about is that you typically find on, on our side of the fence, um, you will find that there's a lot of arrogance, which the Bible makes that clear that knowledge puffs up. Uh, which it should humble us with knowing these truths from God. But obviously, because we still have sin within us, um, the knowledge that we have, because Calvinists are, you focus so heavy on theology that it's easy for us to take the knowledge that we're learning and get puffed up. But, um, you know, you already know I disagree with you on, on the Trinity, but I, if you want to speak about Calvinism, I'm down with that. If you got questions. Oh, yeah. No, I, I look, I, I totally, um, I mean, I, I, I hate to say, I mean, I know a lot of smart people who are Calvinists, who I like better. Of course, I, I don't think very highly of the, of a lot of my interactions with them. I, most of them I, I have interacted with, I think they're less than palatable. Uh, but what gets me, usually I will say with a lot of Calvinists that I respect, they try to appeal to texts honestly. Uh, even though we come to different conclusions for like Brian Dempsey, we disagree a lot, but I can talk to Brian all day because he is an honest expositor of scripture. Uh, I can see why he gets to the conclusions that he gets to, but I like, I don't know if you ever read Ezekiel eight, the first four verses, but acting like that proves the Trinity that I don't think the only thing you're doing is, is proving to me more why this is a flawed thought process. I don't know that whole conversation. And then like, they acting like that makes sense. I'm like, this does not make, how in the world do you get a Trinity out of Ezekiel, the eighth chapter verses one through four? Like that is crazy to me. Uh, they say, well, no, it's three separate persons right there. I don't know. You just sound like you're in a cult to me. I mean, when, when you have that kind of reason and that blatant of an isogenical approach, I, that's, this is what I encounter when I talk to Jehovah's witnesses, when I talk to Mormons, I mean, by the way, some of these guys going to my mind, I'm going to start putting them in a Mormon Jehovah Witness category because I'm like, this is this is beautifully but, ignorant. But I think what you're doing is you are categorizing a whole belief system off of the premise of one or two. People. No, I'm basing on most of my interactions with with not saying particularly you and I have Calvinists I respect, Nick, but I'm I'm noticing as a group idiosyncrasy based upon my interactions that these are. Now, that exegesis, I just think that guy was wasn't there. I think he didn't know what he was talking about. But what gets me is the integrity. Other people there, I know you know that's not what this talking about. And for y'all to be quiet when y'all know that he's wrong, that's the cultish part. That's like the, the Hebrew Israelites. You're going to be strong and wrong. It's like you know he's wrong and you won't say nothing. But, I again, that's why I'm saying I disagree because just because you see a, a specific person or even a very group that you may be commonly around, 
that doesn't define the whole belief system because in my circle of Calvinists that I that like I, I speak with pretty often, if somebody says something wrong, they'll be corrected right then and there. Um, so I, the room I, I was in, I mean, you you can't base. Well, that's the thing. thing. I'm basing my interactions, my interactions. I'm basing the people I've talked to in the room I was just in that was full of Calvinists. And if we can talk about those Calvinists, none of those Calvinists would correct the brother on his blatant error. But they would, to me, it was strong and wrong. So maybe I won't look at all and say all of Calvinism. I just say on that room that I was just in, those Calvinists didn't budge even though they knew he was wrong. Right, and that's what I'm saying, like, because when you look at the title of the room, it's saying the cult of Calvinism. Which I do believe that. It, it, it seems it seems like the, the title of the room is coming at the belief system rather than the individuals. You know, overall, I do think Calvinism is a cult. I do think that. Uh, I, I think uh, I think the part? thought process. For one, re regeneration before uh, uh, faith. I think that's a lie. You can't prove that in regeneration in the Old Testament. Uh, regeneration before faith or better yet, regeneration in the Old Testament is not attested to. Uh, believe that's wrong. I can demonstrate that in John chapter 3. That regeneration occurs before faith? Absolutely. Prove it. Go to John chapter 3. You, you got it. I'm aware of the text. All right, let's get it. Now, remember, we're talking about an Old Testament concept. We, we are looking at a conversation between Jesus and a Jew who we all know that the Jews, when they listen to Jesus, they are looking for him to say something that is contrary to the law. So if you go to John chapter three, starting at verse number two, we can start there. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs unless you, unless, I'm sorry, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is dealing with the natural aspect. What does Jesus respond about this being born again? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter in, can, cannot enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Listen to this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear a sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, the thing is, people are going to either say that's either that water there, and I'm about to shut it down. People are going to say that water there is either ambiotic fluids, which is not biblical, or they're going to say it's water baptism, which water baptism was not instituted as of yet. Because Jesus had not died yet. But how do we know this is an Old Testament reference that jesus is making let's keep reading verse 9 nicodemus said to him how can these things be jesus answered him are you the teacher of israel and yet you do not understand these things 
Jesus's question insinuated, how do you know the law and you do not know what I'm speaking about? Because what Jesus was referencing was written in the law. I can point that out, but I'm a land. Okay. The question was to prove regeneration uh, before faith. So in this context, was Nicodemus already regenerate when he came to Jesus? No. Okay. Then I'm not sure what school of Calvinism, I guess, as far as you hold on, do you believe that uh, total uh, total depravity means total inability? Absolutely. So man is dead in his sins like a corpse at the bottom of the sea, correct? Correct. Oh, and no man seeks after God. Correct. Then how could he come to Jesus by night seeking about how to be born again? Easy. The way any any person is uh, desiring to live for. But you're dead spiritually. Yes. How can a spiritually dead person seek after God? I thought that salvation was the sovereign work of God, that he comes in his monergistic. If Nicodemus is seeking after God, that's synergistic. The problem is that you you are eliminating the fact that man, although he uh, cannot seek out the God. How long have you been a Calvinist, Devante? Wait, 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 let me finish my statement. What you are eliminating is the fact that man, while he cannot seek out the God in a salvific way, that does not mean that he can't acknowledge God or even desire to have knowledge about God. So wait a minute, wait a minute, because that's that's not that's not Calvinism. So if Nicodemus is, I don't know. I, I got some. I, I know some. Some. I, I would very much uh, recommend you talking to Brian Dempsey. I would say he's he would be a Calvinist who I think would really represent the position properly. So no man seeks after God. No man knows God. No man. He has no desire. They are all gone in their way. He is a rebel sinner. Uh, Ephesians 2, which most Calvinists would say that he's dead at the bottom of the sea. If I'm dead at the bottom of the sea, can I swim up and save myself? Nope. Okay. So if this is a spiritual sense and you're saying that Nicodemus was not regenerate, how can he then seek after God to be saved? Wouldn't that, how does that make sense in the reform? Well, I would say from your viewpoint, an unregenerate person seeking salvation. He was not seeking salvation. Nicodemus. What must a man do? Hold on. Wait a second. Nicodemus was seeking information. And not only that, but again, just because someone is seeking salvific information, that does not mean that they are seeking salvation. I think you are like, like, I think you eliminate the fact that you have people like Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, all types of other religions who are seeking after a God. But unless God does a sovereign work in their hearts, they will never seek after the true God in a salvific way. And Kavante, what is seeking after on, God? Hold on real quick. And that's why sure. John chapter three is making it clear. Unless one is born again, which that bo- being born again is referencing something that Jesus was speaking about from the Old Testament. OK, Kavante, my question, what is seeking after God? Seeking after God, it depends upon the context. So when I say seeking after God or Romans chapter three, which is what you're referencing, is meaning in a salvific way. Gotcha. And so in this instance, when he said, what must a man do to be born again? Of course, Jesus tell him that, uh, you know, gives him the, the, the approach. And then he says, well, 
uh, how can I go back into my mother's womb? It, do you still think that he wasn't trying to find that salvation for himself? Again, just because somebody is seeking information, that does not mean that they are saved or that they are regenerated. They can. Oh, I agree. Out. So, but but the problem is that you are. I think that you got a, a presupposition about Calvinism that's not there. Calvinists affirm that men they may have um, um, salvific information about God. There is plenty of people who's been raised up in church. They can give you the gospel. They can quote the gospel like the back of their hand, but they do not believe it because it requires a rebel sinner. What? Because they are rebel sinner. It requires a regenerating work in their hearts to do so. And this is the question I'm asking you, Cabante, because you went to St. John 3 to show regeneration precedes faith. And I'm asking you, since um, no man can seek after God, he is dead in trespasses of sin. No inability and salvation is completely monergistic in the reformed sense. How then did he seek Jesus at night? And then after I guess what you're saying is that, well, he was seeking information about salvation. Why would a dead person be seeking information about how to live? That's a great point. Just the same way the Pharisees and Sadducees sought salvific information. And and, and let me make this clear too. I re, I will I don't have a problem with retracting that Nicodemus may have been God truly had did a, a convicting work in his heart and maybe he was starting to ask these questions because of that. I don't know. I can't I can't if I'm being fair, I cannot say without a fact that that's not true. But at the same time, again, you see, even in this text, you keep referencing Romans chapter three when it says no one seeks after God. Well, and even in John chapter three, Jesus is making clear unless one is born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter what type of information you may have if you do not. Uh, have God doing the work in this person's heart, they will not believe. So this is my question as it relates to regeneration before faith. What does that? So, and again, I'm not sure. That's why I asked earlier, how long were you a Calvinist? Cause I wasn't, cause some of the responses you were giving were a little bit different than how most reformed people I know usually respond when it comes to regeneration, what in regeneration uh, it changes that a person? Is it that they want to pray or I guess I'm trying to see like, how does a person. So, and, and, and again, I don't want to be everywhere. So do you believe regeneration is sequential to them hearing the gospel or that it happens? Maybe like, how does a person know they weren't regenerate 10 years before they heard the gospel? If I'm making sense. No, so I believe that regeneration and and faith is simultaneously given. So you have God regenerating the person, and in that regeneration, He's given new life, new desires, and also He's get He's granted the gift of faith, so that He will believe the gospel, aka being born again. If He's not born again, He will not receive the gospel. As you re- continue to read in John chapter seventeen, I mean John three. Verse 19, I believe it is. It says, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than the light. So there has to be something, a.k.a. being born again, that changes a man from loving the darkness to loving the light. So as it relates to regeneration before faith, 
this is God. He comes in and he secretly regenerates. Well, do you believe regeneration is the same thing as being born again? Absolutely. So regeneration is the same thing as being born again. And does being born again involve the reception of the spirit? Can you repeat that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. You find does being born again involve the reception of the spirit? No, you're not indwelt with the spirit until after that you have believed as Ephesians 1.13 quotes. So, but the spirit regenerates you, but he doesn't indwell you. No. So I can, no. I can take you to what Jesus was referencing in John chapter 3 in the law and the prophets. I can show you that. So if you're born again, that means you have been, I guess, uh, the God becomes your father. At least this is my understanding of it. But he regenerates you. The spirit comes, does, does a work without you knowing, but he doesn't indwell you once he does the work, just to be clear. No, God is not your father until you have been saved. Then what does being born again mean? You have been given new life. When I say that I'm born, I can say this is my father. This Bible says that he sent his spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The born again process of regeneration is a work that God sovereignly does. Uh, so even when he does that, he's not our father at that moment when we regenerate or born again. Notice how what you just said was uh, you quoted from, I believe, is Romans chapter eight, when it says he has given us his spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father, right? Well, we're not indwelt. I already said that we're not indwelt with the spirit until after that we have believed. So adoption has not occurred until we have been indwelt with God's spirit. So he, but I so you're like born again, but he doesn't adopt you. No, no, that was, that was my, that was my initial quick. Hold on real quick. I feel like we're getting off into the weeds because what I said about John chapter three, I don't feel has been dealt with. No brother, you, you, that, that is the problem. You haven't dealt with it. Uh, a man that's totally dead in trespasses of sin. And you, and again, you may have retracted your statement that initially, uh, that he was not born again. I'm not sure if you're saying now that he was born again, but in your framework, if he's seeking after God or but he had asking questions, but in this context, Nicodemus wasn't asking about salvation for himself. Am I correct? He could have been, we don't know. We, we don't know. Hmm. Hmm. But why would he come to Jesus by night asking when he says we know that our teacher sent from God? See, this is a problem again. You are equating seeking with a salvific seeking. Just because someone seeks knowledge, that doesn't make them saved. My pastor, as an example, my pastor, uh, when he was growing up, his parents were missionaries. And he wanted to know more about the gospel. And yet he had made it very clear it wasn't until years later that he was actually saved. He knew the gospel. He knew all types of information about the gospel. He knew all types of information about theology, period. And he was interested in that stuff because he liked to debate. But just because you're interested in the information, that does not mean that you are seeking out the God to be saved. When he says, how can I go back into my mother's womb? You still don't think that's personal, that he's, he's seeking for himself. So I had already said that I retracted that, that he could have possibly been seeking for himself. But I think, again, we get lost in the weeds because seeking after information does not equate seeking after God. 
And I, and I would agree there is a process of learning. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Vela, Vela, I say unto thee, except a man be born uh, of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So I just think this is an odd conversation. So you view it in the realm of possibility that when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he was not coming for himself. He was just coming to learn stuff. Yeah, I, I think I think what we're doing right now, in fairness, in fairness, hold on, in fairness, I think what we're doing right now, I think we're getting off into the weeds because what are the the case that I presented, I think that you're asking questions that don't have anything to do with what I actually said. So in the case, you asked me to demonstrate where in the scripture does it make clear that regeneration precedes faith. So therefore, I went to John chapter three and I utilized this text to show you that it and you also asked about it being shown in the Old Testament. So I went to John chapter three to demonstrate the concept of regeneration preceding faith. But you're asking me questions about Nicodemus's personal um, salvific state. That's it's not you're not asking me about the time. Well, okay. Well, well, since it's in the Old Testament, can you show me a, a place in the Old Testament where someone was regenerated? So I can demonstrate through what Jesus had occurred. I mean, Jesus had told Nicodemus that regeneration. No, you said it's in the Old Testament, and I'm right, asking, right. can you show me in the Old so I Testament? To, I can go to where Jesus referenced um, the very text or the very. Um, and it's going to show us somebody being regenerated. Absolutely. So okay, take it to me. Ezekiel 36, the it's chapter exactly before the valley of the dry bones. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. This is exactly what Jesus was referencing in John chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Which is why when it says water and spirit right there, you'll see exactly what he means by that. All right. Now, and again, to be clear. I'm asking you to show me where someone was regenerated and just make sure you understood my question. Correct. So let me, let me make this clear. We would be being um, disingenuous if we was to go to, if I take you to a passage and I demonstrate that this has been a process throughout all of human history, but you're like, show me a specific example. Is that not reasonable? Disingenuous. But no, no, but this ingenuous, you're the one telling me that something that's logically uh, fallacious is the way that God works. When I'm asking, okay, if this is the case, that people were regenerate in the Old Testament, show me an instance where someone's regenerate. Well, I can't necessarily show. It's kind of like if somebody says, hey, I have this award for you. And you say, well, give me the uh, receipt or whatever it is. Well, I don't have the receipt. And what context of reasonable thinking would a person uh, accept what their person to be saying is true? I'm simply asking for you to, if this is something he's been doing the whole time, show me where he did in the Old Testament. I can clearly demonstrate that from what Jesus has said when he said, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not know these things, which is exactly what he was speaking about being born again. So I can demonstrate through what Jesus has already made clear that in the law, this was already written and it was already occurring. Show it to me. All right, Ezekiel 36. Let's get it. Starting at verse 25. All right. And remember what we just read in John chapter 3. 
He said, unless one is born of the water and born of the spirit, he cannot see the, uh, see or enter the kingdom of God. And then later on, he says, the spirit blows as it wills. You don't know, you know it sound, but you don't know where it comes from, but you see the results. I'm paraphrasing. Verse 25 in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you should be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all the, your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Okay. He is speaking. Do you believe Ezekiel 36 is a prophetic, uh, is this prophetic in nature? Aspects. Aspects. So you believe and now when he says the time he's talking about, then, then I will sprinkle. Does that mean that he was sprinkling them um, up to that point? Or is this something new that he's doing? Boy, say it again. Was he already doing what you're saying he's doing in Ezekiel 36? Or is this something that he's going to start doing? There are aspects of Ezekiel 36 that was already active, but there was a part of it that was not active as of yet. What, what part was already active? The part of the removing of the heart of stone and giving. He was uh, he was already doing it. What? You said the part of removing that he was already removing their heart of stone and uh, giving them a heart of flesh. Correct, but not every single believer was receiving the spirit. Well, well, well just be, just to be curious, so they could receive pretty much the new birth before the shed atonement or the blood of Jesus Christ had come into a play. And again, I'm still in Ezekiel 36, but just as an ADD question, what makes their regeneration different from our regeneration if they could be regenerated without the blood of Jesus? Easy, because their regeneration was on credit, ours is on debit. So oh. they, were, they, were, they were created. The only way that they would walk in the way of God is if God changed their hearts. There is no person who is in their own free will walking out righteousness because of their love for God that they built up amongst themselves. God has to do a work in their hearts. Matter of fact, if you go and read the entirety of Ezekiel 36, you will see that his people was disobedient. And because of that, their constant disobedience, God was like, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D because you refuse and you simply just can't do what I've commanded you to do. Just curious, why did he call them the, his people? Say that again. Why would they call his people if they weren't regenerated? They were elected as a nation. So there was two aspects of Israel. You had the nation of Israel and you had the um, the people of Abraham or the seed of Abraham that were those of faith. Okay, in this one, which which group was he talking to? He was talking to uh, his restoration of the nation of Israel and what he was going to do for his people, which is spiritual Israel. Mm, spiritual Israel. Okay. And he's talking about a future tense that he's going to do for them, but he was doing it for some, but he wasn't doing it for all. Correct. 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 Now, and, and my question still stands when I'm asking, can you show me an instance where someone in the old Testament says that he's given me, 
a heart of flesh and taken out my heart of stone. Didn't David say that? In what instance? And I could be having a moment. In Psalms. I could pull yeah, it up. Which, which instance? I could pull it up. Huh? See, yeah, I said just, hey, I'm following you. I'm trying to see your logic. Yeah, that's fine. Give me a second. I'll pull it up. Sure. I don't think that you are. It's fine. It it doesn't matter. And and you would say this instance that you're getting is um that this shows that David was was regenerate or born again. Yeah, we see in David actually not only was he regenerate, he had God's spirit. Uh, that he was. Re, David was regenerate in these instances and born again. Okay, and I just I just wait for you to pull up your text. And I think another person, too, that I would recommend, Brian Dempsey, is a good guy. Uh, if you're trying to get a good grasp of Reformed theology, I mean, of course, me and him doesn't, uh, we don't agree on a lot, but I run a lot of questions by Brian uh, to make sure I'm understanding Reformed thought correctly because, uh, you know, it's kind of like all those who are Reformed are not Reformed from what I understand. But I think if you want a good counter-objective, which I would always encourage, I think Malak is a good source. Uh, could give to give you another good Armenian look at it, but I'm just waiting till you get your text. All right, go on over to Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. Verse 10. <clears throat> Psalms 51, verse 10. Creating yeah, uh, my clean heart, O God, and renewing me a right, uh, and renew a right spirit within me. Yeah. So that's saying that right now, this is David is asking for the new birth. Yes, David is asking him to change his heart. So this is another question I have for reformed thinking. If no man seeks after God, how is he asking for something that being dead, he wouldn't even have an awareness of that he needed? Because David was not dead. David, David was more so, to be honest with you, in this text, he was repenting before God for his sin, but yet and still he had no, they didn't have a, a, a theological soundness the way we do because a lot of the things that they knew were in types and shadows of what was to be revealed in the New Testament. So the creating of the new heart, he knew that out of his own heart, his own wicked heart, if God doesn't do a work there, he will not change. This this is a part of the original constraints uh, that we set up. No man seeks after God, correct? This is the problem. If a person only can have faith or to seek that they need to know something as a result of the new birth and regeneration, why is he asking for something that he by necessity would need in order to be able to ask? Because David was already regenerated, but I, what he was but he's asking, asking for regeneration. You said what? He was, he was already regenerated, but he's asking for regeneration. No, no, I utilize his wording to demonstrate that there is a change that is needed. There is a crying out that is needed 
in regards to this new heart that David is referencing. Now, he didn't have the understanding of the new birth, but yet we do. But should it all work the same? Like the system shouldn't change based on one's understanding. And I asked for an example to show me that show me someone being having uh being regenerate before faith. Then this is to supply Psalms 51 and 10 as a reference to show that that show me example where someone's regenerated. We get here and instead of seeing someone regenerate before faith, you give me an example of someone asking for regeneration. I give you an example of someone who recognized their need for God to change their heart. So remember when that I wasn't what I asked on, really fast, really fast. Originally, when you first asked me about that, I told you that I could point out the system, but I, I probably won't be able to point out an individual. And I don't think that 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 matters, because if the system is for every single human being, the Bible doesn't have to say every single time you see a saved individual and God regenerated them. There's no need for that. If he has given us a system by which applies to all of mankind. And that's the thing. I'm not asking for every time. I'm just asking for one instance, one Alabama instance of somebody being regenerated in the old Testament. That's all I'm asking for. Not 10. Not was Jesus referenced? Well, somebody was regenerated. I gave you Ezekiel 36 that points to the system (laughs) that God has given. I add that that's not what I asked for. It's like, it's kind of like the scripture term said, if I being evil, if you being evil, give your son good things, how much more can you follow to give them the Holy Ghost? I asked you for an example that would show clearly. And you're telling me one that show this is a system from what you're saying. Then you take me to David. I'm simply asking for you to show me one. And this is why I can't accept Calvinism because it's when, when direct, not at you, Cavante, I think you're doing a good job. I just think you've been influenced by Gnosticism unawaredly. Uh, but I'm just asking for one instance, if the new birth is not something that's completely uh, dependent upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have in the New Testament, that we have in the Old Testament, I'm just asking to see it. I just think that's that's a reasonable question. Just it's, like if I'm saying they had Chargers and uh, BMWs in, uh, in the Middle East, I'm just asking, well, show me there. Well, no, just because they don't show you that don't mean they didn't have it. Well, if you want me to believe it, you got to show it to me. So the problem right here is this right here. Again, I pointed to the system, but the problem is this right here. You are asking for a specific. So let's utilize the system that you are applying to me towards a believer in the Old Testament about Christ. Would they know that the coming Messiah was going to die on their behalf, yes or no? Uh, depending on what part they were in, they were uh, being revealed God's plan progressively. Uh, as they were going on, God clearly made things a little bit more clear. The first implication or really a prophecy we have of redemption coming to man is in Genesis 3.15. But we understand bit by bit the prophets would uh, reveal uh, the mystery that those saints in the current New Testament would currently enjoy. Uh, but those holy men, they looked and desired to know it, but the fullness of time had not come as of yet. So they knew bits and pieces. They were seeing through a glass darkly, so to speak. So since, let me ask you this question. Since they did not know that what the coming Messiah was to do, could they point to what the coming Messiah was going to do? Meaning, meaning could they clearly point to that Jesus would would be God in the flesh and would come and die for their sin. 
Could they do that? Depend on what point of history they're in, but in the understanding that the person had. But I will say that uh, as it relates to all of it, they knew in bits and pieces, but most of them didn't even get it. Most of them didn't even know of the Holy Ghost that was coming. So I would say it was a progressive revelation that God kept secret until the fullness of time. But you're still not dealing with what I'm asking you, because in fairness, you asked me to point to one individual who knew of regeneration. So I'm asking you to go to the Old Testament and point to one individual. And I'm, I'm not doing this to be petty, but I'm doing this to demonstrate that the way you are, um, but, uh, the system of questions that you're asking me right now is being unfair due to the fact no, that- No, Hold on, really, really fast. I demonstrating to you a system that Jesus had clearly pointed to in John chapter three. So I'm asking you, could you demonstrate in the Old Testament that that one person who knew clearly what the Messiah was going to do? Well, one, the both from the for this statement of showing me regeneration Old Testament, the proof, the burden of proof is on the Calvinists. I don't have to prove anything. I'm not the one saying that people were born again in the Old Testament. You all are. That's you all's issue. My issue, and I never said that there was never one person in the Old Testament that had a clearly uh, a clear understanding. My exact position is it always has been that this has been a progressive revelation that the fullness of God has kept hidden until the appropriate time. So I don't see far as a system, I'm not alleging anything. The accusation that you're defending is that regeneration uh, occurred in the Old Testament. I'm just simply asking to show me that. So I'm, maybe I'm not missing what you're asking. So that's fine that you asked me to demonstrate that, although I disagree with that type of questioning. But I'm utilizing your same line of questioning to demonstrate that it's, it's being unfair because I pointed to the system that shows that regeneration was active in the Old Testament. When he says the time will come that I will, does that mean it's already active when he says I will? The time is coming, so to speak? It depends upon the context. In that context, is that not a prophecy? There are aspects of it. There are aspects of it. So, okay. Okay, uh, in Ezekiel 36, at that instance, again, what aspects of this is is is, is a prophecy? Because when I read it, it all sounds like a promise. I mean, a prophetic promise. Yeah, easy. So, um, again, uh, you have aspects of the prophecy that was futuristic, such as when we look at the prophecy of Joel, and it makes it clear that every single believer will have the Holy Spirit of God um, indwelling them. That's a futuristic prophecy that had not been experienced until Acts chapter 2. But in regards to the subject matter of regeneration, it was already active. And we can just go back to John chapter 3, where Jesus makes clear that it was already active. Okay, when from there, you had took me to Ezekiel 36. Right. You said what? And from John three, you reference Ezekiel thirty six. Am I right? right? That's what Jesus referenced. So, Jesus... right. And so, from Ezekiel thirty six, was he referring to a future time? Or was he referring to what he was already doing? It's a both and. It's not an either or. Could you show me the breakdown in the text that would lead me to believe that was something he was already doing? Let's go back to John chapter 
I asked in Ezekiel 36. This is the one you said. There are two aspects. I'm well, asking you, got, you to cut the aspects. I'm asking you to cut the aspects in half. Show me where. Again, it's unfair because we know through others' texts that there were aspects of this prophecy that had not yet been fulfilled, such as Acts chapter 2, when we see the Holy Spirit of God being uh, poured out upon all believers. You said in Ezekiel 36, there were some that were and some that were not yet as yet. And I'm asking you to show me the point of in Ezekiel 36 that was not as of yet. Um, so the part that was not part that was active was the indwelling of the spirit in regards to the being sprinkled with water and being uh, given a new spirit. That is a Old Testament um, issue. So they they were being born again, no Holy Ghost. So he was just purging them, but he wasn't giving them the spirit yet. No, the spirit had not been poured out upon every believer yet. That was a futuristic promise that was given in multiple different passages um, that there would be a futuristic um, pouring out of the spirit. Okay, but but we know for a fact the purging was already he was already doing he was already doing this new heart thing. Correct. The new hard thing was already being done. Okay, we go to St. John 3. I'll let you make your point there. All right. Now, Jesus had not died, been raised again from the grave. That had not happened. So let's read this from Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And just for the record, Jesus had already made it clear uh, in verse number three. He made it clear that no one can enter into the kingdom of of God except they be born again, right? I'm sure he was still in the Old Testament when he made this statement, but let's keep reading. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a current context that Jesus is speaking in. He said, right now, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. This is a current context, again, that Jesus is speaking in. Also, uh, if you look at this last verse when it speaks about the spirit is just like the wind blowing as it wishes. No one can force the wind to go where they want. The wind goes where it wants to go. But let's read the next verse. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be answered him? He's asking, how can this happen? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. This was something that already was spoken in the law. Which is why Jesus said, how do you not get what I'm telling you if you're a teacher of Israel?
I'm done. I don't know if you left or not. Can, can you, yeah, my, my internet went. I don't know what happened. I think I kicked something. Uh, I, I missed that. I'm sorry. I, I simply just reread John chapter 3 to demonstrate how the language that Jesus utilized was in a current context, and Jesus had not died, been buried, and rose again yet. So what he was speaking of was something that was already being done, and then you further see uh, when Nicodemus asks him, how can these things be? Jesus responds to him in the current context. It says, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not know these things demonstrating. He was pointing back to the law, stating that these things were already written. This has already been happening. How do you not know this? And you're a teacher. of Israel. Well, and I think that's your assumption because what you pointed me back to was a prophecy that was talking about when he was going to do it. In which, of course, I asked you to show me the delineation in the prophecy of what he was already doing. Uh, and before that, you took me to Psalms where to show me where somebody was being born again, which I, I don't think we got any resolution on because that would be contradictory to reform thought because, of course, a dead person can't ask for, for something he already has. So, and I'm just being honest, Cavante, I think you're a sharp young man, but I see no evidence of your doctrine being biblical uh, on the basis that you cannot prove or show an example or, or, or of this taking place. Uh, or better yet, you have not shown me in Ezekiel 36 where he was already doing this. And there's no evidence in St. John, uh, the third chapter, that he is not speaking prophetically. You're saying it's in the present, but I'm not sure if the scriptures exactly give their clear witness. It's kind of like if somebody came to you on the street and say, hey, I got these magic beans in my pocket and I'm going to sell them to you. And uh, they've been growing uh, people, big houses and all kinds of stuff for years. And you say, great, show it to me. Well, you know, I can't show it to you. You could understand the apprehension of why I probably wouldn't buy those beans, right? I disagree with what you're saying. Uh, we, what, I think what would be better said is that we just simply have to agree to disagree um, because you disagree with the scriptural evidence I have provided. It's not that I have not provided evidence. evidence. I have provided scriptural evidence, even in if, if I get. In the very language of John chapter 3, Jesus had not died, been buried, and risen again. And he was speaking in a current context when he said, again, before this is before Jesus died. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He had not died yet. And he was telling Nicodemus that right now. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you say right now? And just curious. And and just to be clear, what I asked for, I think I've been consistent. This is why I, of course, I respect you, Cavante, but I I, I think the doctrine of Calvinism is of the devil. Uh, I've asked very clearly for you to show me what, if you can show me one person that was born again, like we in the New Testament. I turn in my UPC card, and I, I, I become a, a five point idolater. I mean, Calvinist. If you can show me that, but if you cannot I, show I me that, that bro. if you I turn I turn in and say David Bernard, I can't. The Calvinist got me. They right. 
we Jesus not become they getting that stuff in the Old Testament. I turn it in. One instance is all I'm asking. Yeah, bro, I'm good on that. You know what I'm saying? Like I, 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 I can respectfully have dialogue and disagree. Although I, I would affirm as well that you know the apostolic belief system is heresy, damnable heresy. I don't have to keep pointing that out. Just like let me use that as an example in this conversation. I affirm that the apostolic belief system is damnable heresy, but every time I speak, I don't have to say that the apostolic belief system is damnable heresy. I can say that once, or I can even insinuate it and not have to clarify or ever say it. That's not a person that the Bible says, and this person was regenerated. And this person that doesn't have to say that because it was made clear that the way people were saved or the way people entered into the kingdom of God is that they were born again. So you believe people were in the kingdom of God in the Old Testament? Uh, I don't really have a position on that. You just said how people enter the kingdom of God. Were they in there? So there's so again, there is debates about the topic on. What does this look like? If you're saying it from the standpoint of salvation, yes, they were part of the kingdom of God because they were saved. So they were in but heaven. If it from the standpoint of like their physical dwelling, I don't know. So but if they if heaven. they were in the kingdom of God when they died, did they go to he- go to heaven to be with the Lord? Uh, I don't know. Um, I I haven't really dove into that too much, but I don't I don't think that's a a relevant point. I think so. To be a part of the Hold on. To be a part of the kingdom of, of God, it, to me, it means, from what I see in scripture, it means to be saved. It's not necessarily dealing with the dwelling, physical dwelling place. Because right now, if you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you are right now saved. But you have not physically entered into the kingdom of God. But while yet you are being called um a resident of the kingdom of God. So if I'm saved in the same way that people in the New Testament are saved, and I'm not sure if you believe in soul sleep or not, but do you believe New Testament believers when we are absent from the body we're present with the Lord? Again, it's it's based upon that. I don't I don't know what that looks like. Mm, interesting. Okay. But hey, I, I respect your effort. I respect you standing your ground. Uh, I think you're very sharp, and I can definitely tell you're applying yourself to scripture. I think we both just have our impasse of, of what we disagree on, but I don't take the fact that you will come up and express your opinion lightly, even though I know I get energetic, but I do appreciate you uh, conversating with me on it. Definitely, likewise. Hey, Malak, I think I saw Malak down there. And again, uh, good to see Malak. And I have nothing against Gavante. I think he's a smart young man. Uh, one of the reasons I started this room because I was having a, a dialogue with, of course, the Calvinists. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is, this is one reason why I do consider Calvinism a, as a cult. Not to say they're everybody that's in it, but sometimes, for example, when you look at the text, uh, this young man was trying to make me believe. And if you want to believe in a Trinity, five, you want to believe in 10 Trinities, knock yourself out, have a good time. But you cannot get indignant 
because you're using a text that does not clearly prove what you're saying to be the case. And for every other reform person in the room that I would have confidence in to have good sense and to get behind that, my respect for you have just diminished a few steps. Uh, I think there are good arguments for the Trinity to be made, but every text is not a good text to use for it. But that just sparked my mind to it a little bit more. Uh, and that talked about the cult of Calvinism, because one thing that really does irritate me with it is you can't be narcissistic and wrong. And this is the one question, which I think I learned it from a lot. If you ask many of them to show you a case of regeneration, it's just like talking to Hebrew Israelites. Can't show it to you. Not one time can they show it. To me, Calvinism is like a smart version of Hebrew Israelism. It's just like an intellectual version of it. Show me the new birth in the Old Testament. Can't show it to me. Show me some regenerated New Testament. Can't show it to me. If I'm dead in trespasses of sin, how am I therefore seeking after God? Can't show it to me. That has all of the signatures of a false doctrinal system. And I think this is my qualm. I feel that just because many times they're Trinitarians, they get a pass because they knock the Trinity. Sounds like false doctrine to me. And I don't know why I don't see all the urban apologists and all of the, you won't go after them. You know why? Because they got money and they got sway, which is respect of persons. You go ahead, Malak. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just releasing, showing the hypocrisy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I mean, the several conversations I've had uh, with our, um, our friends, the Calvinists, um, that's, a, that's a question I ask all the time. Show me an instance where someone is regenerate. Someone's regenerate in the Old Testament. And it's, it's nowhere to be found. I mean, the, the Ezekiel verse, uh, that's not an instance. That's actually, prof- I mean, I, I see that as a prophecy of future events. Um, I mean, Ezekiel is full of that. I mean, e- even the order, the order of this, how it happens, Ezekiel actually, uh, in, er- in an earlier chapter, kind of clarifies that. Ezekiel, in, I think in chapter 18, verse 30 to 32, says, um, Talks about repentance. He says, repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Repent of all your offenses that you have committed. And, and it says, and then get a new heart. So first says repenting and then getting the new heart and a new spirit. So Ezekiel, and you know, prophetically is saying, Ezekiel 18, you first have to repent and then you get the new heart. And at the end of that whole thing in verse 32 says, repent and live. So when do you have life after repenting, not before it? Regenerating. Yep. I mean, we have we have parallel verses. Um, one I can think about is uh, Acts eleven, Acts eleven eighteen, where it talks about you know the granting has been granted to the Gentiles, but at the end of that same sentence says uh, it says uh, hold on uh, uh, granted even to the Gentiles repentance unto life. So where do you get life after repentance? But see, this destroys my doctrinal system with uh, which which uh, destroys the doctrine of grace. If it's false doctrine, it's not the doctrine of grace; it's of the devil. And as I'm sorry, I'm not. I am not playing with that anymore. It's, this is not repackaged Christian Gnosticism. For you to say essentially a person can get in the church without repenting first, that's not of God. I just I, I know, I, and to me, I, I, these heresy hunters, I don't understand you. You you will come after a non-Trinitarian belief system, but you won't. It, you are. I don't. You, this is this is worse than forgery of money. I mean, this I, I just it, it just vexes me to know its end. 
you ask for these simple things. When you don't understand, I don't have to, I don't have to understand the this, this system of, uh, of what, what do you call it? Easter bunny tyrannism. That's my call it to, to, to not to think it's nonsense. I, I just don't understand when you ask for these simple instances scripturally. But what it does is it takes into this whole system of, of this person is elect and we, we have our special. I see, I just, when I, I don't, only difference I see when I'm talking to many of those of the reform world is uh, them and, uh, Hebrew Israelites. I'm just talking to smart Hebrew Israelites as far as I'm concerned. It, it sounds the same to me. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to do, I mean, because I, you, at the end I'll get accused that I don't understand Calvinism. Um, but that's why I like quoting Calvinists. So, for example, like John Piper, and I just pulled up this quote really quick. So, this is John Piper, and and uh, it's from his uh, his website, um, uh, uh, designing designinggod.org, and he says this: We say that quote, we say first that regeneration, aka born again, is the cause of faith. One more time, we say that first that regeneration is the cause of faith. So, the reason you have faith, according to Calvinism, according to John Piper. Is because you've been born again first. And then he further says, having been born of God results in our believing. So you have to be regenerate, you have faith, and now you believe. And it says, our believing is the evidence of our begetting. So it's not that you're it's, it's not that you that um your actual born again experience happens altogether before repenting and believing. So I've never heard, even from a from from Calvinism, you know, from, from uh, uh, leading, Cal- leading theologians, that you can be born again apart from the Holy Spirit indwelling you. I have never heard. That's like, that's news to me. That you can be born again in the Spirit and not be in you? That's news to me. It, it doesn't it it make, make sense. sense. It, 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 what, what gets me is that if you have a false understanding of how one is saved and you're telling a person, this is how you're saved. I just don't see how that not makes you a false prophet. If you're saying that I'm saved, theoretically God sneaks in when nobody's watching and he comes and he regenerates my heart without my awareness. I, I just, I just don't see how the accusations of double predestination aren't true. I don't see how it, it doesn't, how a person can accept it. It just, I, I, I have, I, I am lost for words. So I, I think um, man, you mentioned double predestination. I think most people don't understand that to be a consistent Calvinist, you have to believe in double predestination, and they have this positive negative or this you know affirmative negative. Like I'll say, uh, I, I believe in uh, because sometimes they can't, you can't get out of it. You know, you have to believe in double predestination. Well, I have a, a positive negative view. So he positively selects those who will go to heaven, and then he negatively passes over those who will not go to heaven. And they just pass over, like, you know, just like, like walk by. Like, I just passed them over, like, just, you know, uh, just took just took took the runaround. But here's the thing. Even if he doesn't do it there, at, at a certain point in time in, in the eternity of God, he had to select what he will do with those he passes over. So no matter if, even if it's, even if it's like positive, negative there, at some point in time in the eternity of God, he already decided, those I passed over, I'm sending to hell. So the only consistent Calvinist, in my in my opinion, I could be, I'm, I'm I'm open to correction. The only consistent Calvinist is a hyper Calvinist. I think the hyper Calvinist is the OG Calvinist. They everyone are consistent. Is, everyone else is just pretending or, or doesn't understand the system. Th- this is what gets me. You, you talk well. The reason you don't understand doctrines of grace is because you're a rebel enemy of God. Well, duh. 
God predestinated me to be. How can I be anything else? Well, see, that's Romans 9 right there. Well, no, those are two different contexts going on. So you're getting mad at me for not believing something, for not having the faith that God again. Why are you mad? Should isn't it isn't this the way the system is supposed to work? Like it isn't this how it's supposed to happen? Which to me is it's it's kind of circular, which to me it shows me that you really don't believe what you're saying in actuality. I mean, I mean, some of the best people to inform me about Calvinism is the actual Calvinism. Like, talk, like I actually read, I read MacArthur, you know, uh, Piper, uh, even James White himself. A lot of the things he says, uh, are, are, I think James White is a very consistent Calvinist. Um, uh, I think MacArthur, MacArthur, uh, uh, he, he said it himself. Like, he'll sneak up on you with the Calvinist. Those are his words. Um, but he's, I think, I think MacArthur is a pretty consistent Calvinist. So instead of, you know, being around the bush of what Calvinism could be, I think it's quote the sources. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's it's, it's interesting. It like uh, and again, I know there are some Calvinists who, and I have Calvinists who are friends of mine that I really enjoy. But what I respect is that even though we come to different conclusions, you will not try to hog tie a text to make it fit into your dogma. Like one one the when I first met Brian Dempsey, even though we still disagreed, I respected Brian Dempsey because when we talked about Ephesians two, he didn't try to go and do the the, the reformed open doke and try to make it seem like oh uh, yeah they're dead in trespasses of sin under the sea can't move but they can still go out there and live in sin. He said, well no, that's not what that text is saying. That's why I don't use it. I said, oh you're honest, you have integrity. This is exactly why I can deal with you. But when you take a text just because now I'm going to make it into my dogma. Nah, if you can't be honest with the text, I know you ain't going to be honest with my soul. No. Yeah, and, and so a lot of texts don't really say what uh, is believed for them to say. Um, and this is why, I mean, I like, I like just looking at what simply the simple reading of the text. What is the text actually saying? Um, and that's it. But uh, Brandon, I have to go. Um, I was just on here while I was waiting for my daughter to get out. So we're going to go out for dinner. Oh, well, I'm glad to have you here. And I'm probably going to boom the room in a moment. But it was uh, it was based on other conversation. And uh, I, I kind of dealt very, I'm very kind of um, careful with some of the Calvinists I deal with. Because I find, to me, it, there, is a, there is a cultish idiosyncrasy I find to be present within a lot of the reform groups. I will give this instance. I know we have differences on the Trinity, but there was a young man present. He he pulled a text that obviously was not a proof text for the Trinity. And nobody came off mic to correct him on that. You can believe the Trinity. That's fine. But you to go along with the point so that your side will win. That's a cult. Because when Golden Swartz says things we disagree with, we tell my golden swords, hey, we love you, but man, that's a wondrous form of Apollinarianism. Just because you agree with that conclusion does not mean you should stand with them when they misuse scripture. For that, if anything solidifies why I will reject Calvinism, these instances will do. And definitely that's another conversation. But I appreciate you as always. Remember, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. Lord bless everyone here in Jesus' name. <laughs>